Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. I'm joined today by Dr. Stephen Harvey and Dr. Jeffrey Carpenter, two of the three editors on a special issue that was recently published in JTPE. I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, the special issue brought together a lot of different articles, a lot of different scholars that you all may uh, have heard of. And the special issue specifically focused on social media for professional development and learning in PE and sport pedagogy. So without further delay, welcome to the podcast. Let's start with you, Stephen. Can you uh, introduce yourself and your co-authors? Yeah, I, I probably could let my co-authors uh, introduce themselves. But uh, So I'm Dr. Stephen Harvey. I'm at Ohio University here in the good old United States. Um, I've been on the podcast a couple of times as a guest host and a guest on a previous conversation we had about social media, a paper that we did, and another show which we did with Shane Pill about game-based learning. So I do all things to do with TGFU and now got into this kind of social media malarkey. Um, I run a program in coaching health and physical education here at Ohio University. And I'm Jeff Carpenter. I work at Elon University in uh, Central North Carolina. I'm a teacher educator there. Uh, I'm a might be a bit of an odd guest to this podcast. I'm not specifically in the field of physical education. Uh, I'm a curriculum instruction generalist, but I've been doing a lot of research on educators' use of social media and got connected with Stephen and uh, thought it was interesting to maybe dip in briefly to, to the PE world. Uh, and see how PE educators and, and coaches were using social media. Well, welcome. We uh, we definitely allow people from outside of PE on the on the podcast. And uh, Stephen, you're also the only person that has ever interviewed me on my own podcast for my own article. So that's that's another caveat. And who was the uh, third author on the on the, the special issue? Yeah, Risto, it's Brendan Hindman. And he's, a, uh, I think, an associate professor now, but he's also a sub-dean at Charles Sturt University over in Australia. Awesome. And you know, we tried to draw through a bit of a international team together here and look at different perspectives, which we'll talk about in a minute. Right. So uh, he's someone I've, up until just after we published the monograph, um, I'd never spoken to in person, as in even over video conference. So I've now had a conversation with him, so it's weird. Awesome. Great so, to have an international collaborator, but it is a little hard to make time zones work to get yes. us all three on the podcast at the yep. same time. Yeah. So let's talk about this monograph. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of work, so it's got to come from some type of passion. So where where did this kind of start from? Yeah. Um, I mean, personally, for me, I got on social media in about 2013 when I was working at the University of Beveridge back in the UK and I was a colleague of Dr. Casey and Vicky Goodyear was a grad student of his and I know you've had them on the podcast to talk about different things uh, in social media. Um, so I got into it, I did a lot of what we call lurking, right, observing on social media and started to get inquisitive about things that were going on there and then I read some work by Jeff about how and why educators use social media and so I thought, well, he's a good way in which we can maybe use the survey that Jeff did. And I emailed him, he sent a copy of it to me. And I published a paper in JTPE about how and why physical education professionals use social media. So that was like a starting point. But then we connected with 
the Phys Ed Agoji team, and me and Jeff um, wanted to do a bit of a follow-up study. So after talking about his survey, we started talking about does he want to come into the health and physical education camp and do a little bit of research. So we um, identified the Phys Ed Summit where we got some of the teachers who we were connected with on social media to just have a focus group interview about that. And we got some permission from the research board to record that and use those recordings. And then we went further and started to get together with more teachers in a sample, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, But at the same time, I saw some other researchers doing work. So I'd started collaborating with Brendan, who I'd collaborated with on the initial paper, on another paper with pre-service teachers and educators. And then there was a big conference coming up at Adelphi University in New York, which I know you were at, Risto. Mm -hmm. And um, Kevin Richards, who I know helps run the website and whatever, uh, he had a team of researchers doing some work in this area. And then Colin Brooks, who was part of the physical pedagogy team was working with Jamie McMullen out in Colorado uh, as a PhD student and he was doing a bit of work in this area so I put a symposium together which is a collection of presentations on a similar topic area and we kind of did that as a starting point and Mark Byra the journal editor for Journal uh, Journal of Teaching and PE was there and I kind of floated the idea about putting a monograph proposal in which is a collection of articles on a kind of similar theme um, Usually they're all by the same author team, but here we got kind of dispensation to bring in some outside groups. So that's how it kind of came to to being, I guess. Um, and then, um, like I say, the editors were interested because when we put the proposal together, we, we tried to rationalise why it was an important piece of work because there wasn't much research in this area, um, that we had good samples of teachers, which we'll talk about in a minute, etc., um, and Mark and the reviewers were really supportive all the way through the process. They gave great feedback, very detailed feedback, um, at times critical, but then we're very uh, positive about the reviews as we got down to revisions because we started the proposal in, I think, July. Well, we started the proposal before that, but it was about July 2019, August, when we submitted it. And then obviously it's not published till October 2020, so the whole thing is a... You know, 12 to 14 month yeah. ordeal. Yeah. So need to have a little bit of a see-through on, on these projects. Um, so you focus on social media. Like social media can be uh, a lots of different things, but in this you focus on social media as a tool for professional development. So first of all, what do you see as like the type or who are the teachers who are using social media for professional development based on the studies that you have in this monograph? So unfortunately, we don't actually have a definitive answer about sort of the type of teacher. So um, nobody yet has done a sort of large scale or a representative sample attempt to figure out like what percentage of PE teachers, for example, are using social media for professional learning. So a lot of the studies that have been done, including those in the monograph, have relied on some convenient sampling or case studies. Uh, and so that's that's uh, we're going to get later to sort of areas for future research, but that's a little preview of one uh, area that that there's definitely room to sort of to to develop the knowledge base if we can figure out is it is it thirty percent of teachers is it fifty percent of teachers is it ten percent we don't really know at this point. Um, 
And there's also been uh, in the research so far, and I think this is reflected in the, the monograph as well, we, we have tended to focus a bit on the active users of social media. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk mostly about is people who use social media in ways that are sort of visible and leave digital traces and we can follow up on. Uh, whereas there are probably a lot of people, a lot of physical educators, coaches who may be using social media and we can't see it. They're lurkers or listeners. Um, so we don't have an incredibly good picture of sort of who is on social media. Um, but we did dig in uh, in several of the articles into sort of different groups of people who are there. Um, Stephen and I's chapters that are uh, two of the chapters are drawn from a subsample of 48 participants. So these were all folks who had responded to Stephen and Brendan's survey uh, and left their contact information for follow up. And so we followed up with them uh, and it was a global sample. So we had folks who are teaching all over the world. They would say I would say they're not necessarily a, a average group of teachers in a couple different ways. Um, they were pretty in, into social media, shall we say, and Twitter in particular. So most of them had been, the, the, on average, they'd been on Twitter for 72 months. Um, and so that, that we were collecting data in, in 2018, 2019. Um, so they'd been on Twitter for a while. They had on average 2,700 plus followers, and they had sent on average more than 8,000 tweets. So these are enthusiastic um, or, or maybe not enthusiastic. These are people who have used social media uh, for an extended period of time. Most of them had used more than one tool. Um, so it wasn't just Twitter. Twitter uh, is the what was a main social media tool for most of them, but almost all of them were using additional social, social media as well. And in addition to sort of their history and depth of engagement with social media, uh, in that 48 teachers, a lot of them uh, were either national board certifi certified teachers or shape America teachers of the year or teachers of the year in their state or things like that. So a pretty accomplished um, group that that was in the, those two chapters. Stephen's going to talk a little bit about some of the other chapters in the monograph and the samples for those. Yeah, so that those were the teachers that were predominantly in chapters two, and because there was eight chapters in the monograph, uh, an introduction chapter and a closing chapter. So the ones in the middle, two and three, were the ones that Jeff talked about. In chapter four, it was a U.S.-based sample that Kevin Richards and his um, research team used, and those were mainly elementary teachers, um, 32 U.S.-based teachers, 24 of which were male, and 29 which were self-disclosed that they were white um, out of the 32 mm -hmm. and um, so they did lack a little bit of diversity and this is again one of the things for future research that we'll, we'll come back to. Um, chapter 5 offered a different dynamic where it was a case study of a teacher that had been using um, social media for an extended period of time and in a way to support other professional development that she'd been going through during that time, so studying for a master's degree also working with other teachers in her building, not just physical educators, but uh, other educators. So that was an interesting chapter from that standpoint. So we were able to dig a little bit deeper into one uh, teacher's narrative. And the researchers there, Colin Brooks and Jamie, did use some interesting tools to collect uh, some data. Like they actually used Boxer, a social media tool, to do like an ongoing conversation with the teacher about 
has thoughts about using social media and reflection. So it was quite uh, interesting. And then chapter six, we tried to orientate that more to pre-service teachers. So this was a sample of pre-service teachers in Australia that Brendan and I had collaborated on. And he sent out an open-ended survey to 251 pre-service teachers, but we only got responses from 35. But to the same end, we got some robust data in, in those responses that we were able to build out a, a strong study from. So those were the, the teachers. There was a chapter seven, which I did a survey similar to the one back in 2018 with um, about 310 sport coaches about how and why they use social media. So it was looking at a different part of the physical education and sport pedagogy community. And I tried to orientate that paper around coach learning, which is similar to professional development for mm -hmm. teachers, but slightly different because there's less mandated requirements and things like that. Yeah. And it's interesting because there is so, so much there that we've learned over the past few years, but there's so much more that, you know, you both talked about that we still don't know of, you know, people who are on social media that have three followers because they never post but consume it at a rapid rate you would never know that person because they don't post anywhere but they're still consuming so those are interesting definitely for that future research of how do you how do you find those people because they might be consuming just as much or if not more than than other people if they have a ton of followers so and, but and to be fair there were teachers like that that self-identified in our sample mm -hmm. or in the samples across the studies that oh i don't do much where i share uh, well i retweet right. a lot and observe what's going on and help build the community from that standpoint but i'm not generating sort of like new and brand new content myself yeah. or i used to do that a lot and now i'm not doing that very much yeah and and we talked about that when you when you came on to talk about your 2018 article about teachers use of Twitter and so we talked about those rock stars and and superstar PE teachers and you talked about that Jeff as well but let me let me ask you this why why do you feel that social media has become the source of professional development for PE teachers is it is it that districts or their schools aren't providing enough professional development so the teachers are going on social media to find that well I think that that could be one reason 100% for sure, um, but I, I don't know if it's about, about getting enough professional development. I mean, teachers are busy already, so why do they need to consume more mm -hmm. things to do? But at the same time, it is related to the nature and scope of it. And we cover some of this information in chapter three, where we talk about the genesis of why teachers start using social media and then continue to use it. I guess um, they're after something that they're not getting by that school physical education, professional development. So it might be the professional development that the school is very focused on the intra-school matters. So they want to go out and it maybe isn't physical education based, and that's a common narrative we hear about. So these teachers want to be autonomous and self-direct their learning. So they want to connect with people like myself or Jeff or yourself who are doing research in online physical education, um, game-based teaching models, anything to do with uh, teaching. So what they want to do is go out and feel that they've got that autonomy to go and find people, connect with people, like-minded people who um, are doing similar things to them uh, and or are experts in the field. Um, 
But at the same time, um, people didn't say that they were not interested in doing these in-person professional developments. I mean, we've had all that taken away from us in COVID, right? And everyone's been thrown online. And you hear it in the discussions in the physical education literature. Uh, sorry, in the, all these Zoom meetings we go to, we've been on a couple we still together. Yeah. And people are like, oh, I can't wait to see you again at the conference, right? And, you yeah. know, um, chink a drink together and just sort of be able to spend some time where it's not a block of an hour and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I think that they're not rejecting in-person professional development. It's just that that's not giving them everything that they need. Uh, similarly, accessibility is important, important, as is the choice that they get from social media. So they can choose the platform they want to engage in, who they engage with, like I say, and they like the easy access to these experts in the field. And then another thing is they're able to sort of jump off Twitter or Voxer or be on Voxer instead of Twitter and get that personal messaging and it's voice related. You feel a bit more of an emotional connection with someone. Um, You can go back and forth with messages a little bit quicker. You can do it while you're walking and things like that. So there's other platforms that they've enjoyed to connect with people that help sustain and build that relationship. But we've got to remember that there is a bit of an ebb and flow with those relationships which we'll come to in the middle. But I think the um, social media is one part of the professional development pie, but it's not everything. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit, uh, I've likened this to the my plate, right, with nutrition. You've got carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. Well, you know, professional development might be like that. You know, there's online, hybrid, and in person. And you need probably a little bit of everything to help you grow and sustain your life as a, as a physical education and health teacher. So are you saying that people shouldn't do the equivalent of a keto diet and professional development and just go on Twitter all day? <laughs> well, I think it goes back to ebb and flow, right? The, it, I mean, you might have one or two in-person things. I mean, there's probably going to be a mad rush for in-person when we come yeah. out of this COVID, mm-hmm. where people want to get back connected with people in a in a in-person, face-to-face yeah. context. But um, you know, so you might have a lot of face-to-face stuff going on. Then you might back off and do social media stuff for a while, right? And that's, yeah. and that's kind of how how it might work for people. Yeah. So w- we all know at least one teacher who's witnessed the power of Twitter as this professional development tool, and they are you know super big advocates of it. But what do we know about the research around this? Is is it actually working? Like, for example, from your work, what are the benefits you've seen of using social media as a PE teacher? Yeah, so uh, across all of the chapters and, and studies outside of the monograph, it's fairly easy to find educators who use social media who will rave about the benefits of it. So. Um, lots of self-reported benefits, lots of teachers who will, will talk about the, the things that they've gained from it. And we saw that in, in the different chapters in the monograph. Um, it's interesting, we collected this data before COVID, obviously, um, but, but COVID is sort of an example of some of the potential benefits that you get from, from social media as a source of professional learning in terms of it's, it can be just in time. Right. So the the face to face professional development that I like um, and I enjoy going to is always, you know, it's it's scheduled six months out, nine months out conference speakers. You have to propose stuff. You get all that set up so far out. 
and, and the world just doesn't always operate on, on that type of schedule and teachers needs don't operate uh, on that type of schedule. So as a teacher, you have a need that comes up and you don't want to always wait until the conference uh, or the PD day at the end of the semester or whatever. So social media, it's there when you need it. Uh, it, it it's an op- it, we had a lot of, of, of the participants in the different studies in the monograph talk about how social media helped reduce the isolation of being a teacher, being a PE teacher in particular. Um, so I was an English teacher. English departments tend to be, you know, a little bigger than a PE department. I might have had more colleagues uh, who I could talk to. Um, but PE teachers, you know, there's not often as many of them in a building. Um, and so uh, social media is a great opportunity for them to, to connect with with other PE teachers. It kind of boils down to me. I always summarize it uh, as social media gives you access to more ideas and more people. And that's the big reason why I think educators do it is they realize the limitations of only interacting with the people in their building. Uh, and so getting getting on social media, I can interact with more people. There's camaraderie around interacting with more people. And there's also just that exposure to ideas, points of view, perspectives. Um, we all, there's a lot of literature that talks about emotional support coming from social media also. Not many of the participants that we used embraced that term of emotional support. Uh, we weren't sure if that might have been sort of around like macho culture uh, in our samples or, or around PE. Uh, um, but but people were sort of talking about camaraderie and community, mm-hmm. um, which is it, some of that is probably about emotional support. Um, the thing that uh, we, we didn't measure in our study or any of the studies in the monograph was sort of uh, we didn't go into classrooms or collect student data to measure and demonstrate sort of a, a, an effect of the teacher's engagement with social media. Um, and so that's an area where it's ripe for future research. Many of the teachers talked about uh, and could give examples of sort of I learned X from social media and I implemented it in my classes and my students were more engaged. They enjoyed it. Occasionally, we had people even talk about, you know, performance uh, improving as a result of it. So teachers did have those sort of anecdotal examples. Many of them could quickly pull those out. Um, but there's definitely room to, to demonstrate that beyond self-reports in future research. Yeah, and I think that, you know, measuring changes like that in teaching competence as a result of social media looks just so different. And it's Again, with the pressures of publishing, if you want to do research in this, it's way easier to send out a survey than embed yourself into a, a school community and actually follow along and, you know, maybe spend six months, you know, tracking students and not seeing any change. You know, I mean, we do need to go do that research, but it's so much more difficult to do. And that's probably why it hasn't been really pulled off successfully at this point. And there's so many different, you know, variables in there. Um, so we did, we did try and apply for a grant in that area and we didn't get it off the ground, which is another reason why we did the monograph to try and get a bit more research evidence out there to kind of give some backbone to the, the grant. So it was very much like Jesse Rhodes um, study with uh, and Amy Woods stuff with NBCTs where they went out and interviewed them but then they went out and observed them mm-hmm. used some direct observation measures but i think it'll still be a little bit harder to yeah. 
quantify some of the things, but we'll we'll maybe have a go. We'll revisit that project as we move forward. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I think that's think the, another... that's the right step. The that should be like the next step to go in to see all these teachers are saying it's working. Well, show show me some proof. Go ahead, Jeff. We I think we did also. So some teachers were able to point to those examples, but I think we also did run into something about. Social media, for a lot of teachers who use it, it's a little bit ambient. It's just in the background. It's always there. And some of them actually do kind of struggle to say exactly what they got from social media. Uh, and so we did have some who, when asked sort of like what's an example, uh, struggled a little bit because they, they couldn't sort of even identify. Like, I think I learned that from Twitter, but I, I'm not actually sure because, you know, some of these folks had been on Twitter for so long. Uh, they couldn't for sure say, oh, that came from this person or that activity. Um, so teacher learning is sometimes a bit unconscious and implicit. Uh, and so then measuring exactly what professional learning experience leads to what classroom change, to what student outcome, that's a difficult uh, line to always trace. Yeah. So besides the teaching competence, measuring that, Jeff, what are what are some other challenges that you came up with or came uh, came out of this special issue? Yeah, so um, th there were like we mentioned a lot of positives that, that came out of the data, but uh, many of the, the participants did also describe challenges or barriers or obstacles that they encountered in their use of social media. So one thing that some folks talked about is negative social comparison. So you see sort of the rock star teachers, you see them, or you see teachers who uh, sort of use social media as a highlight reel. Uh, so they share their greatest successes, um, everything that goes right. And if you're a teacher on social media, you might have the sense of, wait, am I good enough? Um, is my teaching uh, enough? Uh, and so that's some um, uh, that emotional management of emotion of sort of comparing oneself to other teachers was something that participants talked about. Participants also talked about managing personal professional boundaries. So the accessibility of social media makes it great as a learning tool. Um, but sometimes your spouse or your kids might not appreciate that it's, it's so accessible to you. <laughs> they may want you to pay attention to them. Uh, and so managing that can be tricky. Um, context collapse is another thing that comes from the social media literature, uh, which you know, normally when we communicate, we have a, a sort of intended audience and there's a particular context for who we're communicating with. But social media, you put stuff out there into the Twitterver Twitterverse and you don't know who's going to see it and how they're going to interpret it. Uh, and, and they don't necessarily see the tweet that came before or the tweet that came after. Um, and so it's easy for social media content to get taken out of context. Um, and so participants talked about, you know, sort of being aware while they're tweeting or, or posting things about like, is my, what would my principal think if they saw this? Or if a parent saw this, how might they interpret um, this, this? And so that, that can be challenging. And I think that's probably that, at least in the U.S. context, that challenge has probably only worsened or gotten more challenging um, with the current political environment. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, teachers are sort of under scrutiny about being political or too political these days. Um, 
Another thing that folks talked about is other users' behavior. So some of it was like, I'm having trouble managing this internally. Uh, and then uh, uh, folks also talked about sort of other PE teachers, maybe I don't like how some of them are using uh, social media. And so some of that was around not promoting bet what was they perceived as best practices. So uh, we had a couple interviews that went into the rabbit hole of dodgeball uh, and being very annoyed with other users advocating for dodgeball or defending dodgeball as a thing. Uh, we also had a number of participants who talked about getting a little frustrated with the, con the quantity of self-promotion on social media. Um, so some self-promotion is probably inevitable on social media. So it wasn't that folks said there should never be any um, self-promotion, but it was sort of a they, – they talked about people who were only ever self-promoting, never contributing uh, to the community. And teacherpreneurship was a piece of that with folks sort of trying to sell stuff, um, either uh, their materials from a teacher pay teachers website or their brand, maybe if they're a speaker, things like that. Um, and I'm going to uh, talk a little bit also, and I'm going to pass it to Stephen to talk about some other challenges. But the, these online spaces that, that social media give teachers access to, there's a lot of pluses and benefits around them, you know, that access to people, as I mentioned earlier, is, is something that a lot of people are hungry for. Um, but you, you can, those online spaces can become echo chambers where everyone's just agreeing with each other and, mm -hmm. and sort of people who have differing opinions are excluded or run off. Um, and so that, that, the, these, the spaces uh, can have complicated dynamics. And Stephen's going to talk a little bit about a couple of those. Yeah. So, Stephen, before you jump in, I, I think one of the interesting pieces mm -hmm. that you said there was that there was this uh, like pushback against teachers who are trying to sell something, teachers paying teachers kind of concept. And and I see that come across and you just see some somebody start giving and giving and giving, and giving. And then another person comes in and says, hey, like right now during during COVID, there are people that are saying, do you want these online lesson plans? Go through this and buy them. And they, they're they selling mm -hmm. online PE curriculum and like classes that they can just plug and play. And I think, you know, looking at that morally, it just seems so bad that you can just go in and buy your lesson plans. But then, you know, it's because there's a there's a cost associated with it. But the people, and there are tons of people that just give and give and give, and they post everything for free, and people go in and get those lesson plans, use those lesson plans, retweet them, and say, oh, so-and-so offered this to me, and I'm using it in my class today, and there's nothing wrong with that. But as soon as you pay for it, because there's somebody else paying for it, all of a sudden it is like super not moral, and you wouldn't advertise on Twitter saying, hey, I just paid $20 for a week's worth of lessons. So go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, that was a really just like a rant, I guess. I'll just say one thing real quick before Stephen goes. I, it's really a complicated dynamic in social media when you have sort of side-by-side -side folks who are giving stuff away for free and really just not asking for anything in return and folks who are selling Mm -hmm. uh, and so that dynamic is, is really complicated and brings up interesting sort of moral and ethical questions. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think this carries to the next point about moderating discussions and is it people's job to moderate discussions and then also some of the challenges with that because, you know, Vicky Goodger is in some work with Ash and Missy Parker where they even suggested that the moderators sometimes were people with power on social media and that, and they can even exclude sort of the lurkers and observers yeah. from getting... Uh, engaged in what's going on but similarly in the coaching paper that we had in the monograph I come across this term called bro science and in the in the coaching literature there's a lot of people not necessarily doing teacherpreneurship but promoting certain things and certain ideas which potentially have no scientific or evidence based uh, or are they've read something uh, a sound uh, can't read a soundbite sorry they took a soundbite or they've read a quote and they build this narrative behind that quote, and there's no real evidence behind it. So the bro science comes from kind of a little bit the strength and conditioning literature. Look, I've got all these big muscles, and no one knows why they've got big muscles. It might be that they are taking some illegal substances. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But it's just like, I do my bicep curl like this, so you should do it like this, and it'll make you have the body that I've got. And there's no foundation to some of those claims, right? And similarly take that beyond the strength and conditioning context and that's been in a visual format on YouTube and other social media but on say Twitter or wherever people might come on and make claims that a particular theory is good or a particular model or a way of teaching is good and represent it in a way that it wasn't represented when it was first published or lay claim to a quote or something that a researcher you know or a graphic that you know or take a graphic and edit it in a way that then makes it represent something different and then that's posted on social media and then we get into this kind of we don't know what's true anymore and yeah. when no one's moderating those discussions and then when someone does come in and asks a question they can sometimes get attacked and taken down and especially if there's a, a swell of people to take that person down and then they might exit social media and not come back so it it is very um that lack of moderation is a is a challenge um i know some people take that moderation seriously particularly in the coaching world and have been on there and stood up to people and continue to do so and kind of don't care what people think and they're always very polite respectful to people and things like that and that's the way that we should be right uh, one of the participants said on the t uh, used the term the one thing I, do, I can't get over on social media is when people are mean-spirited. Yeah. And I think that that just summed it up to me. Is, And he said, if you can't say to somebody something to their face, then don't say it on social media. Um, so I think, you know, those types of things. And then we had some other challenges with online spaces where it, are they representing the population as a whole? Like we say, some of our samples, like the coaching paper, Chapter four with Kevin and his colleagues were had a bit of a, a sample that they admitted that lacked some diversity. Mm -hmm. So how do we engage a wider community of teachers who represent the broader nexus of the population here in the United States and in the world, right? Yeah. And there and then things that English speaking and Lots of the English people don't speak other languages, right? I mean, Jeff's worked in Japan, so I'm assuming he speaks a bit of Japanese. Um, he, he, can now speak, he can now speak English, having worked with me. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, 
But um, you know, these are these are some challenges that we have, right, in yeah. trying to represent the information in the best way we can. Yeah. So, what do you think about pre-service teachers? Can can pre-service teachers benefit from being on social media while being in a in a PEAT program? Yes, they can. But it, it, I guess it, again, it's kind of trying to do it in the right way. And Jeff's going to give some examples of how they do that in at Elon in their program in just a second. But I think the things we picked up in Chapter Six were, again, some of the sort of challenges were issues with overusing technology so for example when you're in a physical education teacher education program it's kind of like what's the next big thing and social media is another digital tool that students have got to get on board with and they've got to develop a new set of digital literacy skills so it's just another thing to add to the mix um, and then you could say well what class is it going to put in or should it be streamed across the curriculum what should we be doing there so these are questions for professors uh, but I think what professors need to do is we do need to introduce it and introduce it early let people know it's there have people engage in it find people to to follow have discussions about some of the things that are represented on social media engage them in some type of Twitter chats during their pre-service teacher program um, talk about how they might be able to develop some of the skills that they need when they're on social media so that they can navigate it in in ways that would represent themselves in a professional way so that when an administrator, for example, does a search for someone when they're going to hire you for a job, you are that professional person and you've developed those digital literacy skills so that you can promote what your school's doing and the school district are doing in a positive way and don't fall maybe into the context collapse where you say something that you shouldn't, although mm -hmm. we probably all will at some point. But I think that these are all skills that you know, and aside from that, as a last point, I mean, I think it's just good that for me in my program, I've been in the curriculum class and teaching this semester. I've had all these teachers I know from social media come and talk to my students. And students shouldn't be learning from just the peak professors. You know, they need to talk to teachers out in a diverse array of backgrounds um, across the United States, not just in Ohio representing PE programs in different ways for different purposes, depends on the needs and values of their local communities. And I think it's valuable that students get access to that before they leave. So they build up this network because we know that teaching can be isolating. We know that um, people might want a mentor that goes beyond ourselves and that people can learn things beyond the four walls of the classroom, yeah. right? even when they're in a pre-service teacher program. Yeah, I would echo uh, everything Stephen said, and I'll just add a couple points to that. Um, so first of all, we're increasingly finding that our students are on social media already anyway. So if we don't do something with it in pre-service teacher education, they're going to be on there looking at stuff at Pinterest, on Pinterest, looking on Teachers Pay Teachers, seeing some stuff from now. It's like TikTok is the big thing. There's teachers out there on Instagram, TikTok. And some of that stuff is good and some of it is is more questionable. And so um, if we don't address it in teacher ed, they're going to be out in that landscape anyways without perhaps the sort of filters or, or scaffolding to be more critical users of it. Um, and, and so I think it's super important to, to sort of prepare them for that landscape. Uh, we at my institution have spent a lot of time developing a Twitter 
uh, use of Twitter with our students. We started in 2012 and did not know what we were doing. Uh, it took a lot of trial and error to sort of get it to a more effective use. Like I started out using it because I thought it was cool um, that I was using social media and quickly realized that like just because you use social media doesn't mean you're cool at all. Um, and so we, we got more intentional with like, what are the pedagogical purposes for using it? What can we do with social media that we can't do in our regular classes? And so that connects to a lot of what Steven said about connecting them to other mentors beyond the university mentors, um, bringing in speakers from all over. Um, we've done a lot of that during, with, since COVID hit, right? COVID uh, sort of blew up our teaching mm -hmm. models in the spring and a bunch of my colleagues leverage their social media networks to bring in a bunch of speakers and so we had students who um yes the, the, their classes got disrupted in some ways but then they had this cool experience with suddenly they, they actually had more external speakers than they would have normally heard from yeah absolutely so now that you've done this monograph what do you feel like are some ways that these findings might extend or be developed by uh, researchers in health and physical education yeah, so there's good work in the monograph for sure, and there's good work outside the monograph on the use of social media in education, but we're still just scraping the surface. There's so much to be done out there. Um, I welcome educators to this field. There's way more studies than anybody, uh, than Stephen or I could take on. Um, it is not a field where there are too many researchers and not enough studies. Uh, we, in our final chapter of the monograph, identified sort of four key tensions that, that definitely are worth more exploration. Um, so one is this tension around the lowered barriers to participation that social media have. So uh, that's a good thing, right? That everybody can have a voice on social media. Um, everybody can put their ideas, share their experiences. Uh, at one level, that's a good thing. But then that also brings up this issue of sort of how are things moderated and how do we know what's actual quality and what should be listened to? So that tension between lowered barriers to participation and quality uh, is one. Um, and then also uh, in the same way, there's this issue around the networks themselves. So you get access to more people, um, but do you use that access to more people to create a network of people who think the same thing as you um, and we're just it's just going to be in agreement a circle of agreement and patting each other on the back and aren't we great um, or are we using social media to actually get those perspectives who aren't uh, in, in our schools or uh, in our buildings I mean I work at a predominantly white institution uh, in terms of both the students and the faculty, and my students are going to go be teachers in schools that are not predominantly white uh, on the whole. And so I need them hearing from uh, educators of color, um, folks who are thinking about education, uh, not from that, that white perspective. Uh, and social media, if used right, can bring in uh, and create those networks that, that, that are more diverse. Um, a third tension uh, is sort of this, Stephen talked about uh, one of the draws of social media is it does allow you to exercise autonomy and, so, and be self-directed. Um, and adults want to, to have autonomy and be self-directed. You know, professional development shouldn't be something that's done to 
professionals, right? So professionals should be in, engaged and have some say in how they professionally learn. But uh, sometimes we do need external nudges. First of all, we can have blind spots sometimes to how we might need to grow. And then also systems need to work together sometimes, right? You can't have every teacher in a district totally off doing completely different things. There's no coherence for the student experience, for the school, if everybody is just totally doing their own thing. So that's another tension. Uh, and then a, a last tension is, this pay, is, is between the pace of social media, which is, is so sort of quick and, and sometimes we need that just in time and that quickness of it. Uh, but that, that it can be in tension with the, with the reality that a lot of what happens in education and coaching is slow and incremental and mm -hmm. change is not going to happen overnight. And so, you know, if we're always just sort of zipping and, and zagging to the newest thing, are we actually going to get traction and create sustainable change? So those are sort of four themes we identified or tensions. Um, and then there's tons of uh, sort of uh, avenues to, to take those uh, into future research. The, the one thing that we've already talked about um, that we no one's touched yet would be sort of the holy grail of impact on student learning or student performance outcomes. So um, what's the evidence that all this social media activity actually translates into student outcomes being any different? Um, I mean, I guess it matters if teachers enjoy it and maybe it's just sort of helping them feeling better about the profession and, and avoiding burnout and not being isolated. But if it only really benefited teachers, um, would it really be worth it? Hmm. Uh, we also um, mentioned previously sort of this entanglement of use of social media for professional development and for selling stuff. Um, we are, we kind of already went into that, but there's lots of, of room for further exploration there. Um, the, Lurkers or listeners um, and their experience, I think, can be highlighted and better understood in the literature. Uh, I had an experience with a, a former student of mine who contacted me seven or eight years after she had graduated, uh, and, and I hadn't seen or heard nothing of her. Uh, and, and she told me, oh, I'm, like, I'm, I'm constantly following what's going on on Twitter with the Elon Ed hashtag. I read stuff that you post all the time. And I was just working for a principal who forbade us from being on social media. And now that principal has left. And so now I'm going to get on social media. <laughs> um, so there's a lot that's happening under the surface that we don't know about. Uh, and then finally, um, you know, there's all new tools or platforms are always becoming popular. So Instagram and TikTok, are, I've got a lot of buzz right now. They're very visual platforms. It makes sense that for PE and coaching, um, there's a lot of teaching opportunities. We're having a visual element uh, could, could be useful. Um, so definitely room for investigation with those tools. Yeah. And uh, so I those are just a few of the threads that people could follow potentially. And I think whoever goes into this field or whoever is working in this field should think about changing the lurkers uh, name to something more positive, like listeners. Like I think yep. the lurkers versus yep. listeners, I think the listener is, hey, you're being very respectful. Like if you think about a listener, yep. like that's what you want. You want somebody to listen and they are being yep. mostly respectful. Lurker seems so negative, but it doesn't have to be. 
But when you say, like, oh, I'm a lurker on social media, people kind of, like, cringe or look yeah. at you really weird. But I think that that, that yeah. would be an interesting area of study of what are their experiences because they are harder to follow or harder to find. Um, so let me ask you this. Do you have any concluding thoughts or advice for uh, teachers who might be using social media or thinking about jumping on board since maybe they haven't been on social media as much? Yeah, I, I can chat about this. I mean, in one, a couple of the studies, we use self-determination theory and the, the part of that, the um, uh, um, need satisfaction, so basic psychological needs, competence, autonomy, and relatedness. And certainly competency is one of the ways in which teachers get an in, right? Mm -hmm. So you might even find out about social media from a colleague, but you have to maybe have some digital literacy skills to go back to the pre-service teacher's point to even get started on Twitter. And sometimes that can be an introduction from going to an in-person PD, right, on social media where someone gives you some ideas on how to get on and some people to follow as long as that's a diverse group or some rabbit holes to go down and explore um, and also what are some of the tips and traps so certainly um, developing some sense of competence with your digital literacy and some people talked about being all fingers and thumbs on their phone and that's why they don't tweet and things like that but I think you know finding the um, whether you use it on your desktop uh, whether you use TweetDeck or you know when you find some things, do you, do you store things on Google Keep? All these things are things the teachers talked about where developing competence in how to manage the flow of the information to find what you want, like Jeff said, just in time, is also related to competence. And then how to understand the narratives that are going on as well and how to enter maybe into a discussion and take the leap to join a Twitter chat and feel competent to pitch in a question and not have that question ignored by the moderator of that Twitter chat. Um, and so, you know, those are things to do with competence. Um, I mean, it, the notion about Twitter as well is feeling competent in the fact that you are developing yourself as a teacher for the betterment of your students and not being on there because you want to be the next Shape America Teacher of the Year, right? I mean, some of our sample were but I would make a strong contention. I have no real conclusion here, but I've met a lot of these people in person. And for me, they are the real deal. If I walked in their classroom, uh, some of them have talked to my students this semester. They know what they're doing, 120%, right? Um, but like you say, we need to, you know, but they're not on there. If they get an award, they didn't go on Twitter to get an award. You know, they went on because they were trying to make their experience of their classroom better and develop their competence not just of digital literacy skills on twitter but ultimately their competence as a teacher and there's some anecdotal evidence that they they've done that but what i would say in developing your competence if you're a teacher is write some documentation about what is it you're finding what how are you using it how is it impacting your students and, and keep a note of that trail because i think that that would be evidence for your administration to say that this is work Right. I'm going right. on and working for an hour. Um, I'm not just sort of like hanging out and mm -hmm. looking at the sports news right for an hour. Um, so competency is one thing. Um, being autonomous is, is another thing that we, uh, but you can be intentional um, about what it is you go on there for. You, like Elon Ed is a hashtag. 
follow Elon Ed. So you know what you're getting into. Uh, we've got some hashtags like Fizz Ed. Um, what, are, what are some others? Uh, HPE, right? PE yeah. um, chat. Uh, PE chat, yeah. ESPE chat, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, HP at home, yeah. So all these ones. So you can follow certain hashtags and use TweetDeck to filter that information out and put those hashtags on your TweetDeck. Um but I think if, if you want to learn, a lot of teachers talked about they wanted to learn about a new model. Uh, some talked about being in the Jared Robinson era where in the early 2010s when they went on, they found Jared because he was recommended by somebody else, and they learned a lot about technology and physical education. And Jared's one of the celebrities and rock stars that we all follow now, and he does some great stuff, right? Connected PE webinars, things like that. But you have to go... Um, and look for what it is that you want. If you just go in and you're flapping around, you probably won't find what you need. So be organized, go on there with intention and with purpose. And remember, there's not one ideal path for you, Risto. There's not one for me, there's not one for Jeff, there's not one for Brendan. We're all gonna be different and there's gonna be ebb and flow. A lot, some of the teachers talked about, they went on there to look for technology, but now they've looked for things to do with diversity and social justice. And they've stopped following a bunch of people and they follow somebody else or they continue to follow these other people, but really are interested in different things. Um, and again, leveling engagement, you can back off at times. You can engage as much as you want. It doesn't mean we've disappeared. So I'll go two months without, like Jeff and I haven't spoken for a while, but then we'll have periods like when we're doing this monograph where it feels like, you know, we're talking to each other more than we are our own family, right? <laughs> um, so that's a good thing at times, right? Because you can engage, you know, it's that just-in-time thing. So that's the autonomy. And then the last thing is relatedness. I mean, we all exist because, yeah, we want to be individuals, but we all exist. We're a human population. We need connection. This is one thing we've been lacking a bit. And if we are isolated, what we're doing right now is probably the next best thing we're going to get, right? Um, and we find people to engage with. So if you found the people that you like hanging out with on social media, you can build friendships, relationships. Um, you can, like I say, look for new people to add to your network and be intentional about that. And again, recognize there's an ever in the floor that sometimes you'll talk more to one person than others. Um, but the notion is that you want to share with people and contribute to the, the society, but do it in an open an honest manner and have positive intent with what it is that you're doing, right? And ultimately that is being professional, not being mean-spirited and taking time to engage with others, ask questions, trying to understand what it is that people are saying if, they, if you are getting into a conversation um, so you don't suffer that content collapse. So those are some ways to navigate competency Having some, but maintain autonomy and build relationships with uh, others on social media. Uh, Jeff was going to just say one last thing here, I think. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just, I'll, I'll add one quick thing. I just saw a tweet today from somebody I've done research with before, Royce Kimmons, uh, and, and talking about this sort of open communication and being honest and, and offering something to the community. He sent a tweet out, which was his which was the um, manuscript management system from a major journal in his field. 
and he had a list of eight manuscripts in a row that were reject, 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 reject. So he was just sort of sharing uh, with maybe with the you know the early career researchers and folks who hadn't haven't experienced rejection as much or not as used to it. That look, I'm somebody who's successful in the field, and and, and I get rejected too. I thought that was a great example of sort of uh, honest and open sharing and not using social media purely as that highlight reel. Um, But yeah, I was just going to say that uh, sort of uh, this is consistent with some of the things Stephen was just saying, but social media is not a pill that uh, everyone takes and it has the same effect on them. Um, so, So don't worry about how other people are using it necessarily. Have a reason you're using it. Um, folks sometimes get like what I've called Twitter guilt about like, well, I'm not keeping up with everything and just use it for what you need it for, um, contribute what you can. Uh, I I do think that intentional part is very important. A piece of paper came out recently that used the metaphor of, um, social media is, is like trying to drink from a fire hose. Uh, you know, you can't drink from a fire hose. And so you have to sort of figure out what, what's the, the part of the stream that I want. Uh, to drink from. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, if you decide uh, social media is not for you, I'd say that's fine. I'd just say um, the one thing I'd push everybody to do is don't limit yourself to just learning from the people in your building. Mm-hmm. And so if social media is not going to be your way to learn from people outside your building, just, just find some outside of your building and learn from the broader profession and be in community with people from outside your school. Yeah. And then the only thing else I would add would be, um, because this relates to one of the papers, we were trying to look at changes over time in chapter two and um, we didn't quite get there. And this is another paper that someone could look at is how do we go through career stages and how do things change over time in our career as teachers? Because what you might need as an early uh, career teacher might not be the same as someone who, and some of this has been shown in literature, right, that early um, career teachers need different things to what mid-career teachers and late-career teachers need. So it's the same with social media, and that's why there is an ebb and flow and things change over time. And you shouldn't feel guilty about it or whatever, um, but the social media gives you the power to go where you want and find what you need, um, which some of the professional development you get from the school, which is pre-packaged, right? It, mm-hmm. it might not do it for you. So that's one of the things. Absolutely. And it seems like there's a lot of research out there left to be done. I think this was a great, uh, great broad array of research on social media. So um, thank you for both of you for one coming on and two taking all of that work and effort to, you know, rally these great scholars to put this monograph together. Um, we're going to send uh, or add links to the special issue in the notes section. So people just go on there and click. Um, if there are returns that you didn't know, like TweetDeck or things like that, or Google Keep, I'm going to put uh, everybody's social media on the notes section there as well. And so you can follow them, engage with them on, on, on Twitter or um, different social media sites. Um, that's all we got uh, this time. Um, and, and if people, yeah, go ahead. I was just say, and if people want to jump on and want to talk to us a bit more about taking research forward in this area or find out what studies we're doing and participate, then reach out to us too. Yeah.
Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll put that uh, connection information in the notes section, and um, you can also find more information on the hpewebsite.com. Uh, we got a blog coming out every Monday on different research summaries, and um, you'll hear us on the podcast every Tuesday. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.